So welcome back to Plant Product Owner. This is your buddy Scott. Sorry for the delay in this. I cannot believe it's been just a couple of weeks since we have published uh, an episode here. And so I uh, had some feedback on the last episode, the Wagile Fallen. And if you're in the uh, Wagile Fall world or the Agile Fall or whatever you want to call it, uh, I'm sorry again for pointing out the 500 pound gorilla in the room. Um, but again, you, you kind of asked for it, you got it. Um, there's a follow-up episode to that about dedicated teams. I've written that. I spent a whole lot of time uh, trying to put that together based on, again, your feedback and your questions wanting me to speak on that topic. And what I found is that I cannot prep this episode without it sounding like I'm on a soapbox. So I'm going to try again and again to see if I can uh, tone it down a little bit, maybe. Um, so... Today, because I have spent some time on like side topics, and I kind of did that as a test as well, and it looks like many of you are in a scaled agile world. Um, the product owner in a new scale agile world is probably the, well, it is the highest played episode that I have, most downloaded, most listened to. And so I'm going to try to take a little bit of a perspective there for you guys in that camp, but I'm also going to make this generic enough uh, to apply for many of you who are in the manufacturing areas, which I've had a lot of feedback from you guys too, um, in the lean modeling and, and how we do that. And even in some other areas that aren't necessarily in a scaled agile world. So, um, we are going to get back to the art. We are going to get back to some things cause that's what we do here. Uh, that's what I do on this podcast. Uh, your feedback is really helping me, uh, getting me motivated to keep going again and to turn this thing back up. Uh, so I have a few artsy type episodes coming up here. Uh, I've actually written about three or four or five of them. I'm just trying to finish up on on a few of them so that I can get to a more sustainable pace here and uh, release on a little bit better cadence. And uh, so here we go. Today, this is about, and again, from your feedback, and I love feedback and questions from you guys, it's about the burn down chart. And I've had a lot of questions um, over the course of this journey of putting this podcast together about the beloved burn down chart. And I started thinking about this topic and it led me down a winding valley. I mean, like for real, <laughs> I was, I was sorting through all the different burn down charts and like, what do they mean? And, and, and thinking about the different types of burn down chart interpretations. And I quickly realized that I need to go a little deeper on each one of them. And as a result, it looks like I may have a series come out on this. Uh, so it's exciting that I'll probably share my thoughts and help get you thinking along these lines and lines is kind of a funny word the burn down represented in lines so you ever notice that the burn down chart looks like various profiles of these mountain ranges maybe that's kind of how I look at it and and there's about five different kinds of burn down charts and, and kind of what I'm what I'm gathering here and what I've learned including the perfect slope which that's probably something that's not really attainable for a lot of us so since that's our utopia we'll probably not get to that one for a while <laughs> uh, but today i want to explore the burn down chart that looks like a cliff um yeah cliff like right at the very end of the sprint or maybe even in the beginning of the uh, or beginning or middle or whatever we have this cliff and today i want to talk about the one that looks like a cliff at the end of the sprint. And so I'm going to offer some art and trickle in a little science on this episode about the cliff in your burn down chart. 
Um, I think there's good stuff to consider and certainly offer you some of the thinking patterns again, because many of us are new to this and we think about it and we look at it and we have somebody tell us what it means. Um, but just some of the thinking patterns around that and kind of how we can attack it is what I would like to explore today in this episode. So I would say this episode would probably be beneficial to pretty much anybody in the program or team. So buckle up, hang tight, and let's get to Planet Product Owner. So how many of you experienced the cliff? Uh, this is the one that drops off all the stories. And again, it can drop off pretty much anywhere in uh, within your your time box. But the ones that are really the scary ones are the ones that, uh, that drop off at the end of the sprint. Uh, it's a dangerous approach for the solution, for the team, and even those who are trying to help you get the most out of your work. That would be the viewers of the burn down chart, right? And some of maybe your center of excellence or uh, some of your coaches. So while I'm walking through this, I want to take you on, well, I'm, I'm going to take you on a little journey. So use your imagination for just a minute. We got to go capture the castle. We got to go get the flag. So I equate being a product owner a lot to being a little bit of an explorer and a little bit of a captain. And so if you have those two traits in your behavioral index, you're probably a really good product owner. So today, just humor me for a moment as we put on the explorer hat and the captain hat together like friends so we can go and catch the castle, right? So imagine you're actually physically walking across a hill and you're just walking along, minding your own business, stopping occasionally to smell some flowers, see some deer in a field, you're just taking in the wildlife and the beauty of it all. You're taking the stroll, and then all of a sudden, you're standing at the edge of a cliff. Now, instead of taking in all that journey, which you won't remember much of anymore, you're faced with a decision on how to handle this cliff. Well, what are you going to do? Well, that journey was interrupted pretty abruptly. Uh, in the case of a product owner, it doesn't end abruptly just for you alone. You have a team behind you anticipating to take the castle, to take the flag. Uh, but they all just had to kind of sit around and wait on you to help them solve how to get there after this wonderful, beautiful journey. So there's only a couple of reasons why this happens. First, somebody who is responsible for moving the stories or updating the stories or the status, if you're using something electronic, they're not doing their job, right? So we got to get that fleshed out. Um, another reason is the team's waiting until the last day to fully finish what they're doing. And so if they're waiting on something to get finished that we didn't plan for, then that's maybe a little issue. Now, I'm not saying that if we have a burndown chart that looks like this every now and then, it is not a terrible thing, right? Maybe we're proving the point that, hey, we've got some dependencies out here that aren't getting done. And and if, if we're being open about that and transparent about that in our planning, then we're building our case, right, to get these external contributors or some of these other dependencies done uh, in time for us in order to make a full commitment to what it is that we're doing. Now, that leads me to this, you know, was there supposed to have been a bridge built across that cliff before we arrived? And so uh, maybe that was the case. That's another reason maybe for this. Um, and maybe your sprint goal was actually a stretch objective, or maybe it should have been a stretch objective right? Or one that you didn't think you would complete. You had dependencies or predecessors on external teams and contributors. And by the way, it's probably an entirely different episode on lining up runway work that we depend on from other teams and how we make commitments around that, particularly in a scaled agile framework with a lot of different teams going. And I know that a lot of you are still trying to figure that one out if you're in a scaled agile world um, without having everybody else on your cadence or your commitment level. Either way, the cliff is not healthy. 
Um, we know it's not healthy, or at least we hope we know, right? So a couple of things to think about. If, if we aren't really identifying these as done when they are done, in other words, we're not moving the work, we're indicating that we're not hitting our definition of done until the last day or days of the sprint. So if we're not updating that status and we're doing this electronically, then you know it's hard to interpret if you're looking to coach somebody on this. So are we saying that we waited until uh, the end to test? Did we test last? Or did we uh, not hit the definition of done until you know a certain point towards the end of the sprint? Either way, it kind of reminds me of something we're trying to get away from. We don't want to be in the test last mindset because what usually happens when we wait to test last? Everybody knows the answer to this. We're going to find defects that we didn't learn about sooner. And so part of the objective here for us and part of the goal for us is to learn fast, fail fast, right? They say fail fast, I say learn fast. So this increases the chances of us when we find these defects late, um, didn't find them earlier, this increases the chances of us actually not completing it. And uh, that's going to roll over or it's going to fall off or we don't really have the definition of done met, right? So even if we are by some chance testing as we go, maybe we're still sending a message to the rest of the group that we're not um, when when this drop-off happens. So it's definitely an anti-pattern to what we're attempting because, again, we're not learning fast. Um, the other message that it sends is that we're actually capable of committing to more volume each sprint, so you think about that for a minute. So again, you put your hat on if you're an RTE or if you're somebody coaching these teams and you say, wait a minute, if you guys could do all of this work and say you're on a one week sprint or a two week sprint and in two or three days, you're actually capable of committing to and completing all of this work within a couple of days, you're probably under committing, right? Well, we know that's probably not the case. So if you and the team are truly meeting the definition of done, in the last day of the sprint or the last couple of days in the sprint um, and you're accepting stories with some level of potentially shippable product in the last couple of days or hours of the sprint or iteration, then you're definitely under committing, right? We're not going to sit on it and wait on it. We've got to learn faster than that. So it doesn't matter really the reason for the cliff. The cliff is waterfall, all right? It's the same thing. So forget a minute about any viewer of the burn down chart, like an RTE or somebody in program or whoever it is who's trying to coach you on this or, or what you're trying to understand or, or project here to somebody else. Don't even consider their opinion because in the end, their opinion of how to fix this and help you is irrelevant to the root of the issue here, um, particularly if it's a recurring theme for your team. You have to fix it because the fact is you're not developing into anything sustainable here. So there's a reason why your backlog looks like this. So Scott, so what? What does it matter? Why does it matter? And yeah, you know I'm going to take you to the why. So the why behind my thoughts on the topic is that when you're routinely appearing to waterfall the work, you're typically going to have the work roll over to the next sprint because you haven't had time to adequately meet your definition of done, whether that be testing or stories that are incomplete or we're haggling over, you know, do I get credit for this or do I not get credit for that? 
you know, when this happens, we still have other sequence work to perform. So really what we're doing is we're stacking the old stuff, the unfinished work, on top of new unknown work, which will likely roll over as well. So now we're in a real pickle because we have the snowball effect going on. Now we're back to walking across the top of that hill, only to find there's a cliff that we have to account for, make a decision on how to handle it. See, if we go back to the idea that we as product owners are explorers, but we're also captains, we have to plan this journey a little bit better, right? So we don't want to lead our teams to the cliff. We'd rather find a way to get off this hill with a smoother exit, and I'm sure that you agree. So how do we keep from doing this? Well, first, when we're sequencing the work and sticking to the primary principle of learning fast, then we're helping right? So sequencing is important. So remember, leaning toward progress is the goal. A lot of times we have this idea that in order for something to be done, we have to have absolutely everything. And that's not often the case. Think of it as building a house, the foundation work, the framing, the rough plumbing or electrical, the roof. We don't get to landscaping until the end, but we have a plan to get there all along. The issue here, or I guess the, the attribute here is that we have to inspect each one of the components first that, that gets this thing built out. So when we take that kind of approach and our burn down chart looks like the cliff because we're waiting until the end, we're likely trying to do too much in a story. So if we're doing too much in a story, then we're talking about sequencing. So I'm going to give you a real a tip here. So oftentimes what I'll do is I'll put like the shell of the UI together without any real data behind it, maybe mock some data while someone else on the team may be building out the API to hit the data. And so we get the we get the shell on there, we get our ADA compliance, we get all that stuff kind of baked in, and we check that out and we run that by the stakeholder or we do that in our review. Meanwhile, the API, we can do that from a technical perspective and show the work that we're connecting to those endpoints or that we're getting the call, right? Or that even we have the token established, right? I mean, just the connectivity alone established. That's something that's that we can show. That's a that's to me that's complete work. And again, if you're putting the connectivity story in there, for example, just to make contact with that other system that you're reaching out to, then you have a story to build the UI shell. Maybe you're maybe that's in your sprint goal is to establish connectivity and build the shell. We don't have any real data in there, and as long as I'm communicating that, then I'm good. Now, Scott, why would you not hook everything up all at one time? Well, to me, if I have to go back and refactor the UI in the next sprint, because in my demo, which is where I'm proving out my work, right, I'm getting buy-in from all of my other stakeholder sponsors, anybody who's funding this thing, you know, if we run across some issues right there and I have to um, rework any of that stuff, then I would rather find out about that a little bit later on um, or actually not find out about it a little bit later on, but I would rather rework it a little bit later on and find it actually earlier. That's what I meant to say. So if we're trying to do too much in a story, then we may be um, neglecting maybe some opportunities for sequencing. That's kind of what I'm saying here. So at some point, then you do complete the UI, you tie it in, now you're connecting to the API. Now you're testing the data. Now you get everything in there at one time. And, you know, small penetration and performance tests work great when you're trying to do something like that as well. Just kind of keep that in mind. Um, so I hope that's helpful, the sequencing piece of it. And if you have questions on that, let me know. 
Um, I did, by the way, just kind of as an aside, I had a listener ask me, he's like, when are you going to have the paid for content out here? It's coming. I promise. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working to get these templates to you guys. I, I'm just running out of time here anymore. So the second thing or the next thing that you have to look at is your definition of done and your testing approach. And this is kind of both, right? I mean, testing approach and definition done is essentially the same to me. Um, and that doesn't have to be a one, uh, you know, a, a, a 10 pages or something of a definition of done. You know, that whole principle of continual improvement is one, you know, we have to go back and revisit the definition of done from time to time. So, and, 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 you know, when we're going back and we're looking at it, how are we looking at it? Like, what is the format for that? Well, bring it up in the retro. You know, if you're the product owner listening, remember what your role is on the team. And we've said this, and we'll say it all together. The job of the product owner is to maximize the value of the product from the team. So if this topic is brought up in the retro, you're looking at your definition of done. You're looking at the waterfall. You're looking at the cliff. I'm almost positive that your team is going to provide some feedback on it. And I bet you they don't really feel comfortable with the cliff approach either, right? And product owner, listen real quick. Don't get your feelings hurt on their feedback. Respect the value of openness. Um... Don't move on to the next episode yet. Don't turn it off and don't say, Scott, you're smoking crack. It's not me. I'm not the problem. Hold on. <laughs> there's more. Um, there's more to this segment. And in the next segment, where I hope to give you a psychological advantage over the retro and how we can maximize that time together, too. But before we get there, I'll point out, too, to you Scrum Masters, if you're the Scrum Master listening, you have to throw out your old, old uh, traditional approach. If you're the culprit here, we're not traditional anymore. We're on a mission to explore the unknown, learn fast, and add value on a predictable cadence. So if we wait until the very end to learn and wait around for you to assemble everybody in some big room or Zoom and do some big lessons learned or post-mortem or whatever it is exercise, we're probably not learning fast enough and we're not getting what we need out of this whole thing, right? So the more important thing for you to discover is the why behind the cliff. So in the next segment, I'm going to offer a few ideas and thinking patterns around why this could be happening. And hopefully one of these apply to you and your team and you can get it fixed. All right. So we'll move on to the next segment. Stand by. So why the cliff anyway? Let's dive into that. But before I do, I want to seriously challenge you, product owner, if you're listening to this. You and I are friends, right? We're friends. So since we're friends... We can share things with each other that we may not be able to share with others. So it's just you and me talking for a minute. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Everybody's listening to this. So I've said before in a very early episode that you as a product owner are continually on the balance beam between technology and business or for the customer, right? So with that said, you know, as part of your journey that many technical folks are, well, technical folks are technical, right? And listen, in the real world, a lot of them look at you for the priority, Um, they are not looking to you to just prioritize the work. They're also looking for you to also prioritize what you're looking for. So they look to you as the leader of the team from a business perspective as they pick their pack leader, so to speak, to provide the leadership on the technical side for their design or their approach. Remember, we talked about that alpha dev and how hierarchies aren't necessarily a thing within a team, but they pick their technical lead. We just, we just don't want that, that person doing all of the work, right? And so, but remember, they want to solve the problem and they don't want to just solve the business or the technical problem, but they want to probably solve this one too. So if the cliff is causing you pain, the retro is the place to start with the solution for it. 
So I'm going to boil this down for you, give you a little secret I'm going to give away. And I've talked about this, I think, in a previous episode, but I think I'm going to recap it for you and go a little bit deeper on each one of these. Something I learned a long time ago from some really good friends. Remember, there are three reasons, and it can be one, two, or all three, (laughs) um, why folks don't do what they know they should do. So first, they don't know how to. Um, But what is it that they don't know how to do this, right? Does the team understand the work? Do they understand the what? Maybe they don't understand the how. And if they don't understand the how, then again, and the how and the what, that's about the tactical stuff. But you know, the code, the feature, the story, the task, the design, all of that stuff. But if they don't know how to, there may be another area for us to consider, right? And so if we identify that it is the how, then, you know, at least we've got an understanding, right? That's That could explain why they don't know how to, because they just don't know how to, (laughs) you know, effectively, technically uh, get this thing done. Now, maybe they don't even understand the process, right? Because they came from a more traditional model or they came from a different, uh, you know, a different landscape or culture. Maybe the place they used to work, this is how it went and they're just following the patterns of old. And my hope that, my hope is that these these are the reasons why they don't know how to fix it because we can fix that pretty easy, right? Just with some openness and transparency about what we're doing here. Um, this last reason, though, um, it, you know, if it's because they don't know how to, this is the one that I hope it's not. Product owners, hang on. Maybe this is how they feel you want it done. So are you taking an approach of waiting to test or move cards or sign off or even be given demo at the end? Right? Are you the one leading them to that cliff and maybe you don't even know you are? Um, remember, they're looking to you for some business decision guidance. Perhaps your approach is sending a message to them that indicates this is acceptable or even worse, the way it should be done. So they don't really know any better. So you got to be available to them. And we have to include them in the planning as well. Oftentimes, and, I, and the reason I'm going to say this out loud is because oftentimes what I see is that we don't engage techni- technology partners soon enough. Now, there's a whole host of reasons why we may not do that. Um, But if we're not engaging them fast enough or quick enough, then we're certainly not going to learn fast enough to get the plan together. So, and remember, even though we're in an agile world or a scaled agile world, we still plan, right? So one reason could be because they don't know how to. The second reason that folks don't do what they know they should do is that they're afraid to. And so if you have a team member who's in this category, then this is the one that could be a simple fix. Or it could be a very complex fix. Um, perhaps the issues with management or the process somewhere. Maybe they're not confident in a test-first or even test-driven approach. And confidence is important. And, and that's even with their own skill set, their own code, and even confidence and dependence on team members or systems, other systems that they may be coming in contact with. So we need to figure out um, this one because we have to be really bold to get across that hill right? We, we have to be really bold. We have to be really confident in what we're doing here. And, you know, and that's where product owners really have to be careful in prescribing technical solutions to the team. It's their job to figure out the how, not yours. Even though you may be slightly technical, you may be pseudo-technical, you may be completely technical. It doesn't matter. That's not your job anymore. Okay, I said it. We're still friends? All right. So, there's a third thing here. Maybe, you know, as far as being afraid to, you know, maybe you are the one not confident or afraid to look at it sooner. Maybe you're, 
you're between reason one, you don't know how, and maybe you're between that one and number two, afraid to, right? Maybe you are afraid because maybe you don't know how to, but remember, that's okay. I mean, that's still okay. Remember, we're a team. And if there's something you're not comfortable with, go back to the value of openness, right? Transparency and get some help with solving it. It's okay to ask questions. In fact, lots of product owners feel that it is a weakness to admit their lack of technical understanding or lack of process understanding. But here's the great news for you. And I do mean it's great news. Product owner, scrum master, anybody listening. And if you don't hear anything else in this entire episode or even this whole journey of this entire podcast, please learn this today. It is not a weakness to admit that you don't know what you don't know. It's a strength to me to admit that. Because what you're doing is you're showing that you're open to learning. And learning is fundamental, my friends. That's what we're all doing here. Learning. Remember, this is a journey. And if we all knew everything from the start, um, you wouldn't need to be listening to this. Number one, I wouldn't need to be talking about it. Number two, and number three, we would all just have global success in everything that we do every single day, right? And look, I didn't learn this stuff in the womb. Neither did you. And we got to always be open to learning. I'm learning from you guys when you give me feedback. I'm learning from daily processes, helping consult and coach and, and teach and do and all of those things. So be open to learning. You know, I think another possible reason, you know, that uh, people um, don't do what they should do, they know they should do, is that they just don't want to. So if this is what we're up against, my friends, you have far more issues than what I can help you with on a podcast. (laughs) Uh, But remember, you're not only the explorer, you're the captain. So you know what you have to do, captain, put your captain hat on. Go out and, and show them what we're going to explore. Try to lead them down the path. And look, if uh, they're not open to that and they just don't want to, then you have to have a talk with, uh, with management or with whoever the decision makers are, you know, in your organization. And just look, this is not working out for us, right? Um, but with that said, okay, product owners, hang on. All right. What if you're the one who doesn't want to? So I'm going to get out of your tailpipe for a minute and let you think on that one. I'm not going to pin you down. All right, enough waiting now. I'm going to get back on you. Um, If you are promoting the culture of this, then then something you're doing is driving or setting the expectations around the behavior that they don't want to. Do they not want to do it because of you? And that's the question, right? So you kind of have to take a step back from yourself and think, right? Because you still have to solve the problem. We still have the problem of the cliff, right? And if it's repeated, then we have to solve it. And why? Is the cliff and enter pattern? Well, we're not learning fast. We're stacking assumptions on top of assumptions. We're not improving. We're not, you ready for this one? We're not self-organizing and we're not solving it. More importantly, we're likely not adding value, meeting our sprint goals, which should be getting us to the end objective because when we're at the top of the cliff, we're very likely to encounter tons of issues on our way down when we start rolling down this thing without the bridge, right? So we're going to get to the next segment. I'm going to wrap up, get off the planet, and today, well, off the hill, whatever, and I'll try to give you some tips on how to help avoid the cliff. So we've talked a little bit about some of the symptoms and maybe even some of the causes for the cliff. Now I want to get off here and give you some ideas before I go around how to maybe avoid the cliff and the burndown chart. But first, 
I need you to consider which camp you're in. Are you in the camp of I don't know how to, I'm afraid to, or just don't want to? What about your team? I think no matter the camp you're in on this one, one thing's clear. We need to do something to shock this system and get out of this anti-pattern. So here's how we're going to do it. First, let's look at the sprint goal. Let's start with it, right? And remember, you can't have a really clearly defined sprint goal without really understanding what it is you can and can't complete in the iteration. And with that, you have to have some idea about your capacity and level for that effort or level of effort for that. So I have heard debates even recently about sprint goal, you know, and why do we really even need to have a sprint goal? Look, let me recenter you guys, especially the ones who are on this journey who may not be as seasoned yet to say we don't need a sprint goal. It's important for us to understand the sprint goal, in my opinion, particularly for teams who are building, they're gaining, gaining some momentum, getting some experience. And listen, if you've got the cliff pretty much in every burndown chart, you definitely need a sprint goal <laughs> because the sprint goal, having that qualified, that's something that's going to help you keep your eyes on the prize. It's going to help you keep your eye on the castle you're going to take or the flag you're going to catch or whatever, right? And so the team goal is one, or I'm sorry, the sprint goal is one for the team to solve. But remember, as the product owner, a lot of these personalities are looking for you, looking at you or for you, I guess, to cast the vision on what it is we want to see, feel, touch, taste, smell, you know, the real outcome of what we're setting out to accomplish. Um, that should be a challenge for them as well. So remember, there's a difference between something that's a challenge that's something we can get to and a challenge that's really too far stretched for us to get out there. So Remember, we want some negotiation out of this, and I think that's important. And I think that's important for the team to make sure that they are negotiating the sprint goal because you can set the pace, product owner. You can set the tone. You can say, you know, this is what we really want to have. But how about questions like, what do you guys think we can get done here? If I want to do this, what part of this or what piece of this or what more even can we do, right? And so getting that getting that message out there, making your team feel comfortable as being a part of defining the sprint goal, I think is going to help you a lot. Um, remember, we want some negotiation, but we want to consider pricing the house to sell. So one thing I think that it helps a product owner for sure in is that, um, you know, that you can set the pace here, but let them catch up to it. Let them make it more of their idea and not necessarily just you, because let's face it. I mean, if you're the ones throwing out the sprint goal every time, and we're not hitting it, we got to change something. So if that's your pattern, let's bring them in. Um, the second thing I think you can do, product owner, make sure you're make sure you're taking that share care time for yourself in your daily grooming, in your daily story refining or elaboration or creation or whatever it is. Now that's that alone is not really going to help you get uh, a clearly defined sprint goal because remember you don't know everything, nor should you, right? So take a step back or up, I guess, just from a story grooming, and I would encourage you to look at what it is that you're planning to create at the end of this feature or its entire body of work. And look, don't get me on the MVP language right now. That's another episode. <laughs> I don't want to get on the soapbox again. So, but look at the overarching outcome or objective you're trying to reach. Then look at look at sequencing or maybe even resequencing if you're already resequencing your work, right? Slice it across the sprints until you've reached your, your objective. 
and remember, you can build that. So I mentioned earlier, you know, one way to do that is to break it down by shell of the UI or tokens and connectivity or API SOAP calls or, you know, do we get, do, can we fill this in with mock data first, you know? And look, everybody understands that if you're just setting the expectation, right? But even if you just have the underlying framework that has to be in place before the real invisible work starts, maybe that helps you to break it down and slice the work in a little bit of a different way. So if you think of starting with a good finish and working backwards, maybe that helps. So what can we get done during this sprint that will first lean toward progress and second, give us something complete that we can socialize and put our eyes and hands on? So again, it may be that you want to see that page with all the real live data on it. But it could be that you have a dependency somewhere else for that real data. So perhaps your goal needs to be cut back some. Maybe we mock the data first. Maybe we add on the real data next. Maybe we refine and tweak and, and get the UI nailed down a little bit later after we've learned a little bit more. So the point is that small, small wins stack up to bigger wins. But if your burn down is just the big win, right? which is indicative of this cliff, maybe. Maybe you're not thinking small. Now, I'm not saying that every cliff resembles that. Remember, there's several, or, or I guess implicates us, you know, in, in having that uh, bigger win mentality. Um, but what I'm hoping is not happening is that you're thinking shotgun or big bang approach, because I have seen that a lot. Um, so the second thing, though, about this is the learning part of it all. And when it comes to learning about things that are coming up on your roadmap, asking questions from the team is certainly not out of bounds. You know, in fact, you want to reach a mutually agreeable plan around everything that you do, right? You want to reach a mutually agreeable plan around pretty much everything. You got a working agreement. You got a definition of done. You got all. So if we have a mutually agreeable plan around definition of done, around uh, working agreements, around processes, around you know, sprint reviews or demos, whatever, why can't we get a mutually agreeable plan around the sprint or the iteration? And not just for the sake of working during the sprint, right? So, you know, if you've had a chance to listen to the previous episode for the Wagile Fallen, <laughs> I brought up a topic that's a real thing. That's story by story by story approach to development. Well, we can't take a story by story by story approach to development, particularly if we're doing larger features or functionalities, um, we've got to have some kind of decent sequence and understanding of the full goal because chances are if you're just taking a story by story approach, that could be the culprit in your burn down chart that looks like the cliff at the end of the thing. Um, it's because maybe we're working towards just completing stories. You hearing this? Just working towards completing stories without really focusing on a clear vision driven objective or deliverable. So we have to be in control of that really as product owners and as team members. We have to be both involved with that. We, the team, has to be able to see, feel, touch, smell, taste, you know, the drill at the end of that sprint. So remember the focus, potentially shippable product. If that's not communicated, shared, socialized, or whatever with the team, then perhaps they're missing part of that picture too, which leads them to realize in too many downstream and upstream dependencies or predecessors that they must learn about during that sprint. And this could lead to the burn down looking like this too. So think about it. If you're all sharing with your team, if, if, if the only thing you're sharing with your team is stories to do during a sprint or tasks to do during a sprint, that's all the data they have to go on. 
It's like looking at a map with no streets or something. I don't know. But we want to have more information. We want to have a more information in that. And that's why engaging your technical partners and your team for sure in the larger vision of things is really important because the more they know, the more you know about what to anticipate and how to handle it. And so I'm only going to touch on this third point real quick, the definition of done. So have a look at that. See uh, what it is that may actually be preventing you from finishing or burning down, whatever, more regularly, more on cadence. It could be part of the conditions of satisfaction or the part of the definition of done is actually creating a strain on completing work. And if that's the case, we just need to talk about it. It could be just a misunderstanding too. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one, but definition of done, sprint goal, you know, all of these things, this is something that the team needs to really figure out, you know. Um, you could get a coach or a consultant or a leader, somebody to come in there and help you analyze all of this stuff, but it's on you guys to solve. It really is. Team decides, right? And so there could be some kind of something going on with management too or leadership or in your processes. If that's the case, then if we're really promoting what it is we say we're promoting, then bring that stuff up and inspect and adapt. Bring it up in your retros. Make sure that somebody's aware of it. And so finally, I think... Um, and I'm going to be wrapping up here soon. One of the most important things I think that we can do to help solve for this waterfall thing is to hold ourselves accountable for the way that we think about demos, right? Or sprint reviews, however, whatever you call it these days. I don't know. I've said this before. If you're in the product, if, if, if you're the product owner and you're seeing the done work on demo or sprint review day for the first time, you got to solve that. You're not seeing it soon enough. This should... This should not be a usual practice for you to just see this work on demo day, right? Just because we've done, um, you know, if, if we have a one week, one sprint, one month, two months, whatever, it doesn't matter your sprint, your iteration time box. Um, first, we shouldn't be working to solve everything by that time. That's number one. But we should be improving in the learning and learning fast. And so learning fast, again, is critical. And this is one of the best ways to impact that. If you want to solve this waterfall thing, make sure that we're not seeing our stories, um, you know, for the first time on demo day. Um, you don't want to be in that position because you're going to find yourself making decisions on how to get down the cliff <laughs> that you've arrived to um, when you just see it on demo day. So let's make sure we're engaging our team. We're not taking a story by story by story approach. We're getting them involved and included on the entire vision from the beginning. And that way we've got their feedback. Um, so all of those things. I hope this episode was helpful. That's it for today, kids. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I'm, I'm soon, I hope, to get to the next type of burn down chart um, that we're going we're gonna to check out. And I look forward to your comments and feedback. Scott at planetproductowner.org. Um, shameless plug for the Venmo account in the podcast description. I call that the Feed Scott Fund. Don't feel obligated for sure. No worries. Um, it is nice to know that you guys are out there, though. Um, let's let's get off of the routine of having the back uh, the burn down chart look like a cliff. And I look forward to hearing from you on, you know, was this helpful? Was this something? Aha! I had an aha moment. Um, or hey, uh, one of these fit. One of these didn't fit. And here was my issue. I'd love to share that for the audience out here. Many, many listeners everywhere, 34% of you are in the U.S., so I hope you understand my Southern English on this podcast. Um, so far, everybody loves my accent, so that's really pleasant. I'm trying to hide it as much as I possibly can. Um, really happy to be back. So uh, until next time, have a safe and fun journey, my friends.
Thank you.